0: This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 51, The Always and Nevers of Twilight Imperium. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. I just did this hunter i've got a sing-songy bit if you'll allow me i've got a i've got a sing-songy bit to do but i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to hear it from you so i want if, if you have to get it out of your system of like how annoying it is that i have you know some fun on this show you know by all means go ahead and get that out of your system right now and then i'm i'm definitely going forward with this sing-songy bit
1: okay um Please, please, Nat, Please don't do a sing-songy bit, please. I'm, I'm asking as a, as a friend, as a partner, and as a fellow human being. I ain't
0: got no cigarettes. I beg of you. I'm looking at you. Two hours of pushing broom, bison, eight by twelve, four-bit room. I'm a. Man, of means by no means. Bump, bump. Hunter, I'm the king of the road. Let me tell you. Uh, three, three days driving in a big old stinking truck. I'm the king oh now. Oh my Did you know god! That? Did you know that oh they made god. me the king? Did you know they made me the king? You were the king of San Francisco, but you didn't know that every single government agency in the San United Francisco, States. What does to- that
1: have to do with anything?
0: That's in- what you were, and now I'm king of the road, and I'm just saying my reign is bigger than yours. I'm king of all the roads in San Francisco, technically. Listen,
1: Matt, nothing you have is bigger than mine. (laughs) What are you eating? We're rolling.
0: Potato chips. chips. That's good. That's a good way to start. (laughs) It's
1: just because I knew you were doing this. Because you knew you had to buckle in. Yep. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, Hunter? You're fine. better now.
0: now. Yeah. Be- no, better now that you're talking to your good buddy friend.
1: Miss you. Miss yeah. you. Yeah, miss you.
0: <laughs> miss my my high Yeah.
1: Uh, well, no, I don't miss that, but <laughs> ever since you left, uh Portland has decided to put its uh its rain rain gear on. Oh yeah. And it's gotten right. cloudy uh, like it always does. And then I got to hear you, you know, king of the road in it, and that's a song that that isn't going to scan for anybody.
0: No, that's like our little thing that we love and nobody else in the world
1: cares about. And all the people that do care about that song, they wouldn't even get why we would know it. Right. It's not
0: actually inherently funny.
1: No, it definitely isn't. It's only inherently funny to me and you. And it's yeah. not inherently funny to me anymore, as I think we can all attest to. <laughs> I took I took that from you. You did. You did take it from me.
0: Well, Hunter, today is a, Today's a weird episode, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is.
1: It's an interesting episode because as we were exploring this topic, which the Galactic Council voted on, the wise galactic council. Yes. Who who I will not will not disagree with or, or break away from. No, of course not. But in trying to do this episode, it was very hard to decide what should go in and what shouldn't. Yeah. The topic is the always and never's of Twilight Imperium. What does sort that of- mean?
0: What does that mean? What does the always and nevers mean?
1: Well, it's like a sort of idea of maybe having advice on the strategy for playing Twilight Imperium, which I don't know if, you've, if this is your first time tuning in, but that's kind right. of the whole thesis of the, of the entire show. podcast. Right.
0: Yeah. So why, So how can we set this episode apart? What, do we, what did you and I, what did we decide to do um, to kind of simplify that concept?
1: So, uh, we specifically kind of looked for things that we see people mess up a lot, like things that people right. forget to do, or th- or things that people don't see in the game when they're when they're first playing it. Um, yeah, j- and and, just and then p-
0: the the other thing on top of that is sort of like the advice that. Is very very simple advice to someone who has played the game a, a number of times, but are the things that if you if you just haven't experienced every single action card or every agenda or whatever, there's just a lot of things you wouldn't think of that you should be considering because every player that's played like ten games is definitely considering. So I think the the best way to think of this episode is it's certainly for beginners, right? uh pri- Primarily, like we're gonna be trying to gear everything towards like brand new players, but hopefully also there are some stuff in here that like if you're experienced is also a reminder of like, oh wow, yeah, I, I kind of don't think about that enough and it is a useful reminder to to kind of plug that part of the strategy back into my brain.
1: Yeah, um, it kind of varies from like reminders of like just things that people forget to do all the time and then also like some more opiniony stuff about yeah. like how you're supposed to set up for success right. in Twilight Imperium and then like we tried not to get too much into like the super hyper specific yeah um Twilight Imperium stuff that like is kind of the bread and butter of our entire show right um i we should probably go ahead and throw out a caveat though uh that the whole Idea of this episode is Is completely really flawed. Yeah, right. (laughs) We already goofed it up. There's not, there is no such thing as an
0: always and a never in Twilight Imperium. I feel like we've done a fairly okay job of expressing this in the past, but it's like that's just not how TI is shaped. There is nothing that's like definitive. There are too many moving variables that you have to consider. So, every single one of these things is like you shouldn't follow our advice blindly and do any of these things automatically. There is Always a caveat.
1: Right, right, always. Uh, And you're always going to find situations in games where the meta influences things in a completely different way or like just the play style of all the players is so different that certain things that we take for granted as being like, oh, no, this is always how it should go, uh, it won't make sense in the game that you're playing.
0: Right, right. So I think a different way to reframe uh, how you think about this advice is everything we're going to suggest is something you should always be considering it's not that you always need to do exactly what we're saying to do but it is something that is a big enough thing that if you always go well they said i should probably do that is this the right instance for that or not and just like always have that on your on your mind right Right. it's a lot of these things are like timing sensitive so it's like when that timing comes up you should really consider if now is the moment to do the thing or not um so I think that's about as prefacey as I can get with this. With this weird idea, so I I feel like we should just start jumping in. We laid this out. Um, I mean, honestly, this is just a big, big list, and we're gonna like get more specific when it makes sense to. But some of these things, it's just gonna be like there. That's that's the thing. That's the always moving on. And we tried to structure it uh, in order of when these things would probably come up. mm Hmm. So I think the best place to start is just the strategy phase. The first thing you do in every single round of play, and especially the first thing you do in the game, is pick um, strategy cards. The, we we are
1: or hey, well, wait, we, let's uh, yeah. let's mention that we are we are leaving out the pre exactly. the pre play stuff. Any any uh, map There's, building stuff exactly. we're not going to include. There's
0: too many different ways people go about map building and picking factions and things like that. So we couldn't even like. Give advice for, like, how to do a cooperative build. Like, first off, we already have an episode all about how to what we think is good and bad in a cooperative map build. Uh, not everybody does it that way, though. Some people do competitive, but there, there's just a million different factors in pregame stuff. So, yeah, we kind of decided to just completely forgo that. So we don't have any always or nevers for, like, why you should pick a particular faction. There's too many crazy variables that come right, up. There's really right. nothing that is solid in the pregame.
1: But yeah, let's start strategy phase. You're sitting there. What are some things you should always or never do? Well,
0: I got the the first and I think most important one, honestly, is y- you should never take Imperial round one. Why? Right? Why? Because there's just, you'll get the only thing you can possibly get from it is one more secret objective. And what it really comes down to is in the timing and the importance of things that you have to do round one, a new secret objective is not on the priority list there are too many benefits to gain from every single other strategy card round one especially
1: okay what's what's another so so the the next one that we have is also never take diplomacy round yeah one. um there's a caveat there though and what is the caveat for because i actually don't you i don't I, you you I don't want
0: think, you want this to say just never take diplomacy round yeah, one you, yeah. you would be I happy think you if it ever was just should.
1: that i don't think you <laughs> ever should but what's the unless uh, well, let's I think
0: first to explain that is if we're really talking to new players here, why shouldn't we take diplomacy round? What's so bad? Diplomacy is going to let me refresh two planets this round. Why is that so bad?
1: Because everybody else gets to do that too and they do um, it better. And they do it better. So <laughs> it's one of those things where you can take it and and it can help you accomplish this one like specific goal you have like maybe you need you know, maybe you're an idiot and you're playing Arborek and you think it's smart to like refresh <laughs> two planets so that you can get Sarween. Uh-huh. What you give up with everybody else um, at the table is that they are all. Go- so, like, okay, actually, let me frame it this way. Generally speaking, the only factions um, that will be so desperate as to need to take diplomacy round one are factions that kind of start a little behind, that have kind yeah. of a slower start. Right. Uh, essentially, if anyone takes diplomacy, every faction gets a great round one. Right. Um, just period. Right. Across Here's the board. A,
0: there's actually some interesting math with diplomacy that I think is worth pointing out, which is if I'm playing diplomacy, the absolute best I could possibly do is to gain myself five resources, right? If I, right. If I manage to take Abyss Freya or Barragonlur to four, that's five resources that I could then flip. Yeah. Alternatively, Almost every single other player is going to be able to probably do at least five and then probably more. So all you're doing is extending their advantage. You gain five resources. Great. But everyone else is going to gain six to like eight resources.
1: And in the first round where it's more critical the way people start. Yeah. um, As far as their resource and influence.
0: uh, You capitalize on these early advantages a lot more than you capitalize on like any other advantage in the game. Right. The, the snowball effect of what you spend your money on round one is pretty huge.
1: Yeah, generally speaking, if one player takes diplomacy, then nobody has to worry about money round one, period. Right. It's just easy right. to plan for.
0: So my caveats to this rule of like, don't just give everybody a bunch of free money, are really the only thing I think is actually worthwhile is if you can get a tech specialty, planet. That is worthwhile for a tech that you're going to be able to get this round, and everything's going to time out great. And this is a big ask, so it's not like I'm saying just like, oh, I'm. If you're Mentec and you have green in your slice, it's mm. definitely okay to take Diplo. It's like, no, no, no. You also need to set up a lot of other factors to make this still a surefire thing. But things like Mentec getting a green tech so they can get Cruiser Two round one is a pretty big deal. Right. Um, the other. I would say pretty decent round one get is maybe like blue tech for Nalu to get fighter two. But even that I don't think is, is hugely important. Um, really the only other big diplomacy caveat is extra because extra has an ability called peace accords where you can take control of a planet for free, uh, instead of having to invade it. And when you do peace accords, sometimes it's worthwhile to get like some really far distant planet. I mean, if you can get like Quan and just like lock that down round one so that you have three more dollars next round, I, I do think it's worthwhile.
1: I personally, I don't think it is for a piece yeah. of cords for one. I feel planet. like, yeah, I feel like you're not getting enough for what you're the whole, that's the whole problem with diplomacy is you don't get enough for what you're giving away to all of your opponents. Not not like mm-hmm. one or two of them, to the entire table besides you. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and I think it's a good counterpoint. And so it's it, at the very
0: least, it's something you should consider. If you are thinking about taking diplomacy around one, you should have a very big plan in mind with it. You shouldn't just take it because it seems like it's going to be some extra money. There right. is probably a better strategy card you can get. It's interesting
1: um, what we're saying here with never take imperial and never take diplomacy because but what we're sort of implying is that construction is, is the more better. useful, like because people yeah. leave construction out a right. lot round one, right? And we're saying that it's better. I, so, I, I
0: around one, I would say yeah, it is because it's really great to just get that out of the way. You don't have to do it later. Right. You can get a space dock and a PDS, or you can get you know some new system really well defended with two PDS. I think it is always better to just like get the construction thing out of the way. You don't have to think about it anymore and right. now you can go on with the rest of your game. I think that is better than handing everyone a bunch of free money.
1: I agree, and I I, I think I see uh, I see a lot of people not really respect that idea or not feel yeah. like that's very valid, uh, but I, I think construction is kind of an underdog strategy right. card pick, whereas diplomacy is, like, I, I think, in a lot of cases, like, misplay. Uh, yeah. I'm willing to, like, work with you on the, like, tech skip stuff, but, like if you're not it's rare not doing and something, it's hard yeah and if you're not doing something crazy with those cruiser twos round one exactly then is What's it the really point? worth it yeah
0: exactly yeah yes yeah, yeah. So I, I, in a lot of cases it's like it probably is better to just go ahead and get another carrier instead of like trying to do a bunch of goofy shenanigans right so i don't know uh the next one's super simple simple this is what this is what falls in line of the just like general advice of like things that people commonly forget so here's your friendly reminder to always play summit the action card summit at the start of a strategy phase this is one of those ones that is always forgotten about uh it just lets you gain some command counters and kind of as a general rule you're gonna see this come up a few times where things it's just like hey remember to check your stuff like look through your hand of action cards make sure you're remembering to play things summit is one of those big ones that i i know i've gone like two or three rounds in a row Forgetting to play Summit. Right. Because the timing is at the very start of the strategy phase. You are supposed to do it before anyone picks a strategy card. And a lot of times people kind of dive right into picking strategy cards. So I think
1: I think there's a small handful of action cards like this that if you actually take them off away from all the other action cards and you're just like, these are the ones that you really need to remember to play, yeah. you're good. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I want to read the next one. Yeah. Uh, Always take the highest initiative on the last round or what you presume to be the last round. Right. Unless your victory requires otherwise, um, so I think we could have rephrased this to just be like always remember initiative on the final yeah. round because right. we've a seen big deal. so many games go to somebody because of initiative order and right. not right. you know it, where it's like sev- like two or maybe even three people had the points right. but it comes down the to only
0: reason you shouldn't pick based on purely initiative is if what strategy card you take is the only way you're going to get a victory the biggest right. thing is like well obviously there's an exception for imperial if you can win during the round using imperial then you should take right. imperial right but beyond that like you should pick leadership and then diplo and then politics etc cetera, etc cetera. um sometimes it's like well if i ch- if i just get one tech i can win in this st- it's the only way i'm going to be able to win in the status phase is if i get this tech and i sit on it i guess i get that but I, you're you're probably already screwed at that point. If you're gonna, if you are waiting to pick last, uh, then then
1: you're in trouble. It, there's also the hail the hail Mary play of like I can't get ahead on initiative in front of the people that are going to score before me, so I take Imperial even though I don't have a plan right now. But right. maybe something will happen. If right, I take something could happen. So that exactly. that's something as well. Yeah.
0: Um, another thing regarding uh, Imperial is uh, when you're picking Imperial, always. Consider like you should always consider picking Imperial if you're sitting on Mechatol Rex. Right. That should always be a part of your mental math. Is I, I have Mechatol Rex. Now we almost had to say you should always take Imperial when you're sitting on Mechatol Rex. But honestly, we let ourselves get away with this a lot and we don't always take Imperial. But at right. the very least, you should always look like you're gonna take Imperial.
1: You should there, I think You should never let people just think like, oh, they're not going to take Imperial and they're on Rex, so we don't need to worry about that. Never let them think they're on Easy Street. Right. You should always let them, at least let them think that you're going to take it so that they counterpick and waste their own stuff, basically.
0: For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, And I feel like what's important in this is driving home the point of like, continue to be objective-focused and like sometimes it's like, oh, I really want to get I I tech is available to me this round, and I could get two more tech. But you have to remind yourself: is getting those two more tech going to lead to more points, or should you just do imperial because you need the points right now? Because imperial right. is free points, imperial points that don't get taken away, and like you you it 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 just straight up gives you a lead, right? Everyone Mm -hmm. else is only getting points that the objectives allow them to get, and you're getting one point ahead of that because you're still going to be able to score all of the other objectives. So that's why it is really important to, like, like 75 to 80% of the time that you have Mechatar Rex, you should be picking Imperial. Maybe even more than that. I don't know. Like, a a vast majority of the times, Imperial should be your pick.
1: I totally agree. Um, Here's another one. Always take politics if you're last um, in... Uh, speaker order. Yeah. Um, I think this should maybe just be like always consider politics. I think it should be a very special situation for you to not take politics if it's available and you're last. We've seen lately... That politics is not making it to that last pick. No, exactly. Anymore, I, I mean,
0: I think so. the third person in order even has incentive to get politics. Like, politics is a hot get. And so even more so, if you are picking last, there's not very much guarantee that you're going to have access to getting politics next round. So you should take it while you can get it. Right. Um, and I, I think just people also forget that, that for, for advice to newer players, I don't think uh, being speaker maybe is as obviously great as it actually is um being able to control any strategy card you want uh is hugely powerful and can't be overstated basically so that's what makes politics so good is the fact that a you're going to get next round you're probably going to get whatever strategy card you want and also don't forget like you're going to get two action cards out of it and action cards are hugely useful all game if you get speaker token and public disgrace and a sabotage out of taking politics this round. That's about one of the best rounds I think you can hope to get as a person going last. That's
1: sick. That's like, that's insane. (laughs) If that actually happened.
0: Uh, Another one, uh, this has to do with, if you're going to take trade, always budget out what your trade plan is going to be when you pick trade in the strategy phase. Uh, This, this one's a little bit more of a complex theory but it is essentially like for me it's if i'm gonna pick trade i'm gonna already start talking to the people that i intend to be trade partners with like right now i want to make sure those deals are going to be considered because i don't want to be caught off guard when i play trade and i'm like okay arborec buddy are we good to trade and then they're suddenly not willing to trade with me i could have caught that earlier right you should start conversations as soon as the option is in front of you
1: i think i i think what what is more what sounds more important to me is if you pick it round one you need a plan to how you're going to get adjacent to neighbors that you can trade with don't play trade and then realize like oh whoops i i don't have neighbors so i can't do this
0: yeah you kind of wasted a strategy card by not getting as much money as you could have gotten right. now also though there's there is something to be said for just picking trade to block the people who could capitalize on trade right that that is also a plan that you could budget for it's sure. just that like i don't need con getting trade so guess i'm gonna take it um also this is the last one which is we we brought up public disgrace uh public disgrace is an action card that allows you to block someone's strategy card pick they play or they, they pick the strategy card and you basically get to say nope pick something different the main way this is used is at the end of the game someone is probably going to try to pick imperial so that they can win during the action phase of the next round uh, and very 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 often public disgrace is held on to until the end of the game so that you can block this from happening you you, you need to block someone from getting imperial to win uh, and so basically, like, always have that in your Rolodex of things you know can happen. Like, if you have Public Disgrace, you shouldn't just be using it round three to block someone from getting trade because you want to trade. Public right. Disgrace is a better action card than that. It is more useful than that. And so you need to, when you have that action card, you need to consider what the most opportune way you could use it is. I, if I get Public Disgrace, I hold on to it literally the whole game. And almost nothing will make me budge from that. Especially, too, because there's added benefit in not using Public Disgrace so that it goes in the discards. Because if for some reason you go through the action card deck again, someone else might draw that Public Disgrace and be able to use it against you. So at the very least, if you have Public Disgrace, no one's using it against you, and you're safe for when you're in the leading position and you need to take Imperial.
1: Didn't that happen on our most recent stream game? Like, I felt like I held on to public disgrace yeah somebody time, had it somebody, when it, yeah I think I think it did yeah and it like we went through the action card deck over and over but public disgrace never came out because somebody just right. held on to it someone just held on to you it should. all game you should
0: yeah yeah especially in a 14 point game just hold mm-hmm. on to that puppy you there's no no reason to get like cheap with it like just right. keep it so that it doesn't get used against you ever yeah it's a it's a it's one of the best action cards you could possibly get so you should hold on to it
1: right so that uh, that's all the strategy phase action or uh, always and nevers, um, and now we've got some action phase stuff, which is going to be a lot, a lot. Yeah,
0: yeah. We're going to talk about this for a while. We're going to try to fire through a lot of these pretty fast, but the first few to to talk about are pretty heady. They're a lot bigger topics, right? Uh, so we're going to spend some time with these, and then we're going to get into just like really, really specific stuff.
1: Yeah. Can I can I do this first? Yeah. One? This it, is it, hun- this is
0: like Hunter's number 1 thing. This, this if there was a second Hunter's law, it's this.
1: Yeah, it's uh this is very near and dear to my heart and this is a little more opiniony than the others, but what's nice about this is it's good for the speed of the game um and it's also just smart. Like you'll you won't make as many little mistakes if you do this. <clears throat> um stage your stuff. Like and what I mean by that is set out your economy and your purchases and everything to the side before you do it um go ahead and decide how much of your like and and this is like at the beginning of the action phase go ahead and decide how much of my resources am i spending on fleets and what is that makeup going to be and go ahead and set right. that plastic aside how much right. of- and it, it is it is as
0: specific as like this two resource planet I'm going to set my cruiser on top of that planet card right, to denote right. like that's what that planet gets used for. And like do that with everything that you have.
1: With uh, If you have leadership, go ahead and take three command counters and set them on top of leadership so that you don't even have to think about how much you have access to. Um, go ahead and budget for whatever victory point you're going for. So like, if you're going for eight resources, you can set those eight resources worth of planets to the side. And then you know how much of your planets you can actually spend on fleets this round um same goes for tech. It's the same thing, so you you go ahead and set aside what tech it is that you wanna get uh you set it with the resources that you're gonna spend uh so you just the more and more you do this like i i I always see uh newer players make mistakes where they spend like resources that they meant to save four victory points and it's because they didn't stage it.
0: Yeah, they I even point... do this still today. Like I, yeah. I do it nowadays when it's like when tech sometimes when tech gets popped you're just like, "Oh, ooh, I want to buy tech, but you forget that no, your whole budget this round relied on you not using those four resources on tech you actually needed to get another dreadnought on because you need five dreadnoughts because you have that secret of de- like weird little stuff like that. That's right. just like don't get distracted. There's a million and a half things to get distracted by right. in Twilight Imperium. And so having a very concise like budget plan is pretty important yeah you stupid buffoon though you idiot you've you've laid out your whole plan, everyone can look at your space and know what you're doing, so now you've completely erased all mystery and i'm mis- yeah I- i'm gonna play against you because you've shown me what you're getting before you've done it you idiot right.
1: right um so the thing is you 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 don't you can throw out your build but not have it specifically be exactly what you're going to build a uh, really easy example of how to do this is uh Two cruisers are worth a Dreadnought. So go ahead and set out two cruisers and be ready to flip to a Dreadnought whenever you actually build. Just like right. little things like that. Hunter um,
0: loves to do little fake-outs like this. This is like Hunter's favorite little thing that who knows how much effect it actually has on the game because how many people are actually paying attention to it. But you you feel his like sense of pride when he has his planets ready and then he swipes the cruisers aside and then drops the dreadnought instead and it's just like a little shining beacon moment for him but it, like, it does have an effect because there's been plenty of times where I've looked over at his stuff seen him making plans and been like "Ah, oh, crap he's going to put a dreadnought down and then that dreadnought turned into two cruisers instead or something else
1: I'll do like, it with the flagship too where I'll yeah. t- I'll take the flagship out and I'll be like alright and, and what it is is that you're just keeping track of exactly how many right. planets equal how much resources so if you see three planets set aside and the flagship on top of it you know that means those three planets are worth eight resources which right. means whenever i build i could swipe out the flagship throw down to this is so ridiculous by the way i'm realizing but this is just how my brain works right i could swipe <laughs> out the flagship throw down two dreadnoughts and boom it's the same thing right um right and it's just about but, being being fast too. It's just like considerate right. to the other the other players that you're able right. to.
0: Hunter's to, builds almost never take more than three seconds because he's already done all the building beforehand. Right. Right.
1: And um, it, it also just helps you remember, like, oh, I like every round you should build. You know. Right. So like, right. It, it helps well, you this remember ties to into do something this. that is
0: like more of kind of a. I would say it's a status phase consideration, but it really isn't. But the reason you do all the staging is you need to have a plan for how you're going to use all of your planets because the worst thing you could ever do is have some untapped planets at the end of an action phase. Like going into a status phase, if there are planets you did not use, you you wasted that. Right, trade goods right. are different. Trade goods like carry their value into the next round. But any planet you didn't spend, that is value that you comp- that is evaporated. It is gone now. You didn't use those two resources. Well, you could have had a cruiser instead of right. two dead resources. Right. So you should never. If, if this was to be rephrased as a never, it would be never leave any planet untapped.
1: Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. I think that's enough on staging for now. But uh, yeah. But yeah, I, this is not the last time I will harp on it for sure. And, uh, if you want to, I don't know, we'll, we'll, uh, maybe, maybe I could do a little video on tabletop simulator and just show yeah. people exactly how I budget what that you would be do. Fun.
0: Right. Right. Um, the next one is a, is a really weirdly specific one. Um, and we didn't know where else it was going to fit, but we're going to talk about sabotage for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, sabotage is an action card that lets you cancel other action cards. Um, and the reason we want to talk about Sabotage is because we see people use Sabotage really willy-nilly, and it hurts us to see this because Sabotage right. is especially useful against some of those really, really high-value uh, action cards. Mm-hmm. And when you see top players playing, you'll see them bank Sabotages, and they will hold on to them because they know exactly what action cards they want to use that Sabotage against. Yeah. Um so, we have a couple of categories here. Uh, the first one is what should you always, at the very least, consider sabotaging? The right. way to think about this is I have a sabotage and I'm going to save it. But if I hear someone playing this action card, I need to really, really make a consideration of why am I not going to use my sabotage? Exactly. At it's this all moment. about
1: that. Why are you not doing it? Uh,
0: the first one is political stability. Uh, political stability will allow someone to keep their strategy card into the next round. The biggest play for this is I had Imperial this round and I'm just going to go ahead and keep Imperial. Nobody can block me. Everyone had planned to do some sort of thing where we were going to be able to pick Imperial before you. And now you're not going to get it. Well, no, I have political stability. I'm going to have it. The the biggest reason you need to consider using your sabotages on this is if they're going to win because they got Imperial, right? You have to sabotage it. Like, it is just your duty to sabotage that action card. Uh, but it goes even further. I mean, there's just like so many reasons. If someone is willing to use their political stability, it means they have a really, really big plan in mind. And sabotaging that could like save you the game.
1: Right. And also, I think. Uh, it could work out this way. It could be you're going into what is probably the last round, and someone tries to political stability leadership or something like that. Right. It's 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 really context heavy when you yeah. play sabotage on political stability. But I that's why it's like it should just be kind of a red flag in your. You head. You should
0: listen out for it exactly. Right. If you whenever if you hear somebody says say, I'm going to play political stability, right. oh okay, well let me check. Do I have that Don't... sabotage still? Right. Maybe I should use it.
1: Don't necessarily play it automatically, but look, you know, look up, look at like, take, take a, take a second, look at what's going on and decide. Uh, same, same goes for public disgrace really for the same reason. Right. Uh, this, this is a little bit different because public disgrace is something that someone would use on you possibly, but even if they're using it on losing it, using it on someone else, uh, take a look, just think about it. Think about what that will, that will do. Um, if if public disgrace, because sometimes people use public disgrace not necessarily to block someone from getting a card, but right. because they're trying to get that card it. themselves. Right. So if if the person is second
0: in order and the first person took Imperial and they play public disgrace, it's because they want to get Imperial. And so right. once again, you need to sabotage that because maybe it's better that the first person gets Imperial instead. Exactly.
1: Sometimes you have to let Imperial or politics or whatever in a different player's hands just because they won't be able to win before you win right basically
0: the last uh or second to last one is uh rise of the messiah this is the biggest one that i will see people just blindly sabotage in in a good way like like if you hear the word rise of the messiah oh sabotage no way no way are we letting that happen Right. right um Because Rise of the Messiah lets a player gain one ground force on every single planet they control. So usually players will try to time Rise of the Messiah out to when they have just a ton of planets and it's like, boom, I get like eight ground forces, one on every planet. And the thing about Rise of the Messiah is maybe to a new player, it doesn't seem like that amazing of an advantage. But especially if it's, say, a soul or an Arborek player, Rise of the Messiah is like the worst thing that could happen to you them gaining all those extra ground forces. Ground forces are hugely powerful in Twilight Imperium 4th edition and someone just for free gaining a bunch on every single planet. It is a scary thing that can happen.
1: It's 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 not necessarily about the fact that it's one ground force on every planet it's right. it's that it, it's so hard to move that like it's about moving the ground forces around right. so that's like kind of the the difficulty and a lot of times when people play rise of the messiah like i would say like yeah you're right Arborek and soul it's really scary but really for even other like any other faction it's scary too because if it's a faction where you don't normally expect them to have ground forces on every right. planet now right. they're going to and that's a that's one hole in their um in their faction that they've plugged, basically, with Rise of Messiah. And and not only
0: is it scary, like, from their offensive perspective, oh, those are ground forces they can use against me, but also, like, they just buffered their defenses quite a lot. Right. Uh, Ground forces are a strict numbers game, and having more ground forces than other people is going to win ground combats. So And the defender has the advantage. So putting a new ground force on every single planet means, A... None of their planets are easy takes. You can't just for free land on someone's planet, and now you have to like, really fight through it. Like, for every ground force they have, you probably need one more than that. So even if it's just right. one, well, now you have to take two ground forces to that planet to even have a chance of getting it.
1: And then forget about like, like planets that they already had ground forces on. Right, like, that's, right. Yeah. <clears throat> uh,
0: the next and probably final one that, that should be thought of in this sense is the action card Imperial Rider, uh, writers are action cards that get played during agendas, and basically the person no longer gets to vote on the agenda, but now gains something if they predict the outcome correctly. Right. An imperial writer, you gain a victory point, which is a huge, and. Oftentimes, honestly, imperial writers don't end up getting someone a victory point, but they are used to block a really horrible agenda. So let's say, like, I'm going to get completely wrecked if the four of this agenda happens. Well, I'll go ahead and plop an, a, a four, uh, my imperial writer, four of that agenda, so that now, if you're going to screw me over, I'm at least going to get a point out of it. Right. And right. basically. Being able to sabotage an imperial writer is a really, really easy way to just eliminate it's one of the easiest ways you could stop someone from getting a point, basically. I, th-
1: I think it's important to to just do it because you can never tell where the vote's gonna go. A lot of times when the right. imperial writer comes out, then everybody else starts throwing their writers out. And then, you know, like like we saw in a like we saw me score an imperial writer point last stream game
0: right because there were seven writers because it just all went played on wild. the same it just yeah.
1: got completely insane and i think that that if you see it come out uh, unless it's like really easy to read what's going to happen which right. you can never really be completely sure uh, i think it's probably a good policy to just be like no i'm not having this as an option that's sabotaged right right, right.
0: So the other stuff we want to look into what maybe should you sabotage are basically we just want to point out the cards that are better or special cases of why you would want to sabotage them. And it's basically just trying to convince you to not waste a sabotage on something that's just like a whatever action card. There are lots of things you could sabotage, but why would you do it when you could hold
1: out for these things? Uh, Right. And well, but before we say this, though, I want to make one point that like. If it's gonna if if that direct hit is going to cost you the game, obviously right. you should sabotage it that's Always. that's we're we're just more calling attention to like here are some some cards that can really hurt you um that are worth sabotaging I think a little more because they can yeah. be so devastating right just more uh, the, often f-
0: the first one is the weirdest one actually, and it's just the spy action card is right. very strange. And basically, when someone plays Spy against you and you have a Sabotage, it becomes a very weird cost-benefit analysis that you have to do because Spy is going to mean they're going to take one action card from you. Now, they could just take your Sabotage. If you have better cards, there's a decent chance they'll just get a better card. And if you only have worse cards, then okay, it becomes a different equation. But generally speaking, you might as well sabotage the spy because then they gain nothing and you lost a card you were probably going to lose anyways.
1: Yeah, I think you should always sabotage it because if you have a better card, you don't want them to have the better card. Exactly. And even if you have all worse cards, you still don't want them to have your sabotage. Right. you 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 pretty much have to sabotage it yeah
0: and and that's a really sad one for that to be the case because spy it's not like it's even that good it just kind of becomes this it's basically a catch 22 of like you're gonna lose something so you just might as well keep them from gaining anything right
1: right um the next one is parlay uh that generally gets played in uh, a defensive situation that is really clutch generally people don't play parlay for no reason um and so then you have to consider uh sabotaging it there's only one uh there's only right? one yep. yeah there's only one so if you if you get it out of uh out of play you're not gonna have to worry about it for at least a minute yeah, I, and the, yeah i'm not sure there's anything else to say about that it, yeah but it's just interesting
0: basically all of these other ones are have to be thought about in terms of The difference is in what the person is going to gain if you allow that action card to stay in play. So uh, as compared to things where it's just like, oh, I play this action card and I gain a tech. Well, okay, they gain a tech. That's probably not so bad unless the tech is worth a VP. But in Parlay's case, like Hunter was saying, they are probably trying to keep you from invading a planet that is very, very important to them. And so you need to consider, well, if I sabotage that and I get that planet, that probably really screws up their plan. And that's generally a good thing to have happen.
1: Right. Uh,
0: Another one is in the silence of space. This is in that same category of just like they're playing in the silence of space because they got to get somewhere. They have no other way to get to, and they are kind of hedging their bets to make this plan happen. And if you can just sabotage it, you'll really cut them off with the knees and really, I mean, stop whatever plan they could have possibly had. This same sort of logic applies to um, flank speed, but we didn't include flank speed because there's four copies of flank speed in the deck. And so it is honestly not that uncommon to sabotage a flank speed, and then oh, guess what? They had another flank speed, so you yeah, wasted that's a, a sabotage.
1: But also, here here's here's an interesting point about flank speed. Uh, generally speaking, like people play flank speed because some of their fleet can get there, but not yeah. all of their fleet. Right. However, if they're playing a flank speed, a flank speed, uh, a, a <laughs> flank speed where none of the fleet could get there without that flank speed. That's a juicier sabotage because that means yeah. nothing happens and they've just activated your system and that's right. it. So right. I don't know, but you're right. There are four of them in the deck. So, yeah. Uh, another
0: consideration is the action card reactor meltdown. This lets them kill a space dock. Uh This is a weird one, but basically there are very, there are moments in time when it is just really disastrous for people to lose um, their space dock. Winu, the Clanisar, you should just always, Clanisar should bank a sabotage for reactor meltdown and you should just hold it. it is almost the same as like the public disgrace argument right. i would say sar more than any other other faction just does not need to have their space docks destroyed for free
1: right uh the next one is unexpected action uh which i think is generally always played because there's some sort of crazy clutch play that's going to happen and generally people play unexpected action after you've been stalled out um, yeah. That's kind of the whole point of the card. So you might need to sabotage it because you don't have any other way to respond because right. you've already passed right. and there's nothing you can do if they're going to attack you with that fleet that you didn't expect them to be able to. Right. So yeah, I don't know that that one. Uh, that one's very situational, but like it is. Uh, this one's I,
0: harder to recommend because a lot of times too, it's like you have no idea what they're going to do with that action. Yeah. They, maybe they they're might not, not be even coming, coming for you for at you.
1: all. Yeah. Exactly. And you definitely don't want to. You definitely don't want to sabotage it if they aren't even going to attack you. So right. You just want to let that happen. Uh,
0: The last one is just signal jamming. Uh, This one's pretty obvious um, because signal jamming is used against you and it makes you uh, place a command counter on a location and it locks it down. You can't use it this round. Uh, It's probably pretty obvious that you would likely want to sabotage that, but I I feel like it deserves special mention purely because it's it's almost like a can you convince yourself not to to use the sabotage. I think when something directly gets targeted onto you, it's very quick to just like throw the sabotage out there. And this one is almost more like you should really make a debate happen when signal jamming gets played. Do you need that system? Or is it actually okay that they locked that one down and you can make your maneuver happen in a way they weren't even expecting? They thought they got you and you have a completely other plan in mind. So I think that that's the one where you just have to keep in mind your sabotage it doesn't necessarily mean "ooh." be prepared to use it it's more like maybe just have the the dialogue in your head
1: i mean i think you'll know if somebody's playing yeah. signal jamming on you and it's not gonna it's gonna destroy your plans for this round right. uh, i think it's appropriate to use sabotage absolutely if, if you don't think you can survive it if, if it's the last round and you needed that fleet yeah you gotta play sabotage you gotta though. do it
0: That's uh it and goes. the The last action card I want to bring up is the opposite of everything we've been talking about, because this is one, this is more a personal gripe for me, but uh, the action card Plague, I don't think you should ever, ever, ever sabotage it. Uh, Plague lets a player kill all of the ground forces you have on a planet, except for the caveat that they have to roll dice for each of those, and they only kill ones that they roll a certain amount on, and basically it's they have a 50-50 chance of killing ground forces. Um why would you sabotage something that has a pretty decent chance of doing almost nothing anyways? Right. Right. So often I see plague get played and then like, Oh, I lost one ground force out of four. And it actually worked out pretty well for me. And even in the case where like the odds hit, Two out of four ground forces, you still have two left. It's probably not the end of the world. If Plague actually eliminated... If Plague was X-89 bacterial weapon and it just killed everything, it would be a totally different situation. But because there are odds already involved, I basically just don't think Plague is a very good action card. And I really want to caution you against ever using a Sabotage against it. Again, Again, because when you get targeted with an action card and you have a Sabotage, a lot of newer players just like inherently throw the Sabotage. I don't want you to target me. Sabotage. But plague is not so bad and you should probably just let it you know let it ride off your back you're going to be fine
1: right right
0: okay so that's that that was some of the big stuff i feel like we're going to start speeding up because a lot of these things now get way more um obvious Uh, we're going to get into strategic action so we're going to kind of work our way through the strategy cards and what things you need to take into consideration when you are uh playing different strategy cards. The first thing is at the very least with almost all strategic actions, any strategy card when you're going to play it, it is almost always better to stall it than to play it fast. There are a couple of uh outliers, but when we when we were doing this, we kind of kept saying, "Oh, you should probably stall leadership if you can help it. You can probably stall tech if you can help it." And we saw ourselves saying that with almost every single one. So basically, if you're going to play A strategy card early, you should have a good justification for it. Everything else, you are probably better off just stalling it.
1: Well, what I think, let's just talk about what are the strategy cards we think that you should play early, or or, or that that don't necessarily need to be stalled. I think construction is the most obvious one. Construction is the biggest one. Always play it turn one, basically. And I the mean, reason you do that is because
0: yeah. it's going. if people want to use the secondary construction, they have to lock systems down. And doing that earlier is obviously always better than later. You can basically prevent people from getting space docks they would otherwise put on the board because, oh, they have a fleet there and they can't afford to lock that fleet down just to get right, a space stock.
1: Right. Um, what else? Uh, Imperial's timing is Imperial kind timing of Imperial timing gets really,
0: really weird. Uh, basically, Imperial, you have to be really deliberate with how you decide to play Imperial. Uh, y- right. y- you have to do it it, it. it all comes down to what objectives you're going for, right? If you have Mechatol Rex, you should probably play Imperial as early as possible because someone might try to take Mechatol Rex from you. So you probably just need to play Imperial your, your very, very first turn. The same goes for, like, if you need to claim four hazardous planets and it's not like you're going to have a good chance of keeping all those hazardous planets. Right. But if you're just sitting on a tech objective and you're going to plan to do that with Imperial, then you can stall Imperial because then you don't want people to get any new secret objectives that they might be able to capitalize on this round. So you have to be really careful uh, and know exactly what you're going to claim with Imperial before you do it. Uh, there's, that, that there's, also... there's no hard
1: and fast rule on when to play Imperial. Every right. situation is going to have a different, most optimum turn to play Imperial, basically. Right. Um, but all the other ones, you kind of probably want to stall
0: it out because unless you need a tech this round, you can probably wait and then someone else won't get a tech that they need this round. And the same goes right. for pretty much every... You make the same argument for everything. Why play politics early and get yourself some action cards when you could put action cards into other people's hands that they can use right away? Right. Um, ta- speaking of politics, you should never just take the speaker token blindly.
1: Right. Or, I mean, Uh, maybe we should word it, you should always remember that you can sell the speaker token. Yes, Because a lot of people tend to forget and they just keep it for themselves. And a lot of times going second is not a whole lot different from going first. Right. But it is a
0: huge difference to the person to your right because they're picking between going last and going first. So a lot of times you can get them to pay you a lot
1: just to pass the speaker token to your Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good one that I feel like we see more and more people playing that way these days and I yeah. always love it. Uh
0: with construction, always place your space docks on the highest production value planet. This might be obvious to most people, but the space docks are as good as the planet they are on, so you should right. always put a space dock on the best
1: planet in the system, right? Um with trade, never replenish everyone's commodities for free. We still see a lot of people do this, I feel like, and it really... There's just no value in doing that. People
0: do it because they want to be a good friend to everybody, and they don't want anyone to get mad at them, but in reality, almost nobody's going to get mad at you because you didn't replenish their commodities. There are other things in the game for them to get mad at you over, and commodities is not one of them.
1: Also, remember, if they want their commodities so bad, they can spend a command counter to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Um I would say always stall warfare as long as you can, round one especially. Other it's rounds, crucial. it's maybe not crucial. as important, but stalling out people round one means they're not getting their, if if it's if they're factions that need a second carrier desperately to be able to have an effective first round, the best thing you can do is make it to where nobody gets to do it. I right. I mean, that, you can really ruin people's round ones if you stall warfare as long as possible.
1: Right um never build in your home system this this goes this goes really good uh never build in your home system if you can do the secondary of warfare instead so this is kind of the opposite consideration is like if you can build off of the secondary of warfare that's almost always preferable there are some limitations like for the secondary of warfare you can only build off one space dock instead of if you have two or possibly even three if you're hakan right Um, and it's only in your home system right Right, So, like, Saar doesn't care about this at all. Right, no, it's never going to be useful for them. But it's this is more of a consideration for if, for some reason, your opponent isn't really stalling you out round one especially, you're going to want to take advantage of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, some tech things to consider. Uh, and th- these are things that, uh, again, might be obvious to some people, but you should never get Majin if you don't have to. Majin is a terrible right. dead tech, right. and it is a waste of your time. Similarly, Graviton uh, Negator is only good if you're going to get PDS. So if you are not a faction that plans on getting PDS, if you're a player who doesn't plan on getting PDS, it's a dead tech and you need to find a way to skip it. You
1: called it Graviton Negator. It's Graviton Laser
0: Whoops. Systems. Oh, that's an old tech. That's a TI3 tech, Graviton yeah, Negator. You dingus. That's really that's really funny that I did that.
1: <laughs> um you should like I kind of said about the staging thing, you should always know. You know what? Actually, I'm going to I'm going to sort of change this one. I'm going to audible what we have written here. Uh-huh. Um I think since we just covered tech paths a couple weeks ago, you should always kind of have a tech path. Like you should always some sort of idea of like the next tech you're going to get and the tech you're going to get after that and how those are going to fulfill all the objectives. If you want more information on what a tech path is, if you're just listening for the first time, just just scroll down, just scroll down, scroll (laughs) down. (laughs) Um,
0: getting away from strategy cards and a little bit more into just other action phase type things we brought up uh having more carriers we call it 2c4i you want two carriers and four infantry round one that's what optimally gets you the most planets you could probably get with the amount of command counters you have access to round one right um so if you don't already have two carriers and four infantry a part of your round one plan needs to be how do i get another carrier or more infantry. Right. Um or if you're not going to do that, you better have a really, really good reason why not.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you better be getting something instead of two C four I because your your second round is going to start a little bit slower than most people. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh the, the other one, and this is this is bigger for me than I think it is for Hunter. I harp on this one a lot, but I I think you should always build two ground forces if you can spare it in your build action. If you knew you wanted to build a cruiser and a dreadnought and you've got the extra dollar and you've got the two extra capacity, make ground forces part of your builds. You I will I mean, not I, regret building lots of ground forces. I think this is just as
1: big for me. I, I, feel, yeah. the, I feel the exact same way. Especially
0: um, especially like if you have Sarween tools, which lets you right. basically have a free dollar to spend. Always, I just think of Sarween as two more ground forces. That's yep. always what Sarween tools is to me.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, never spend trade goods if you don't have to, or always bank trade goods if right. you can. Right. Again,
0: we said trade goods carry their value into future rounds. Also, trade goods can be used to score objectives. There's spend trade goods as... Uh, you know just spend trade goods as trade goods for objectives there's also spend resources and spend influence and trade goods are used for all of those and you might as well bank them on the off chance that one of those objectives comes out now obviously sometimes you need to spend a trade good to like really get that flagship or whatever you need but you should generally try to hold on to your trade goods and get all of your builds done with just the planets that you have as opposed to using up all your trade goods yeah Uh, the next one is Never forget, in combat, never forget the announce retreat step. Uh, I, I I almost want you to think of this as the whole table should be doing this. Um, there's sort of a weird idea of, in moderating games, how much should the moderator remind people of things? So that so the idea is like, oh, I have two PDS in range of a combat that's about to happen. It is not necessarily a moderator's job to remind the person that they have those PDS. That, that right. gets into some weird etiquette things. Um, but... It, it should be a moderator's job to say, hey, now is your opportunity to announce a retreat. You have all of the right in the world at the start of a combat to decide if you want to retreat at the end of that round of combat. Uh, and it shouldn't be something that gets glossed over. So I think the whole table should constantly be aware of when a combat starts, someone should pipe up and say, hey, do you want to announce a retreat right now or not? I think it helps the game a lot because a lot of times you'll start rolling, you'll get one roll done. And then you're like, Oh wait, I I definitely also want to retreat. And if you're playing with, you know, sticklers to the rules, they'll say, no, you didn't announce it. So you need to get ahead of that.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's just being fair. Uh, there, there should be that moment where it's like retreats because yeah, what if, if you just start rolling dice? Yeah. You could, you could use that as like kind of a cheesy way to justify not letting someone retreat. It's very Um, edge shooty. Yeah. It's stupid. Um, Here's here's something that really goes well with what we were talking about. Uh you should retreat if you're going to lose. Yeah. This is something like I saw seen... this in
0: the tournament. We we I don't think retreated that often, but in the tournament we saw people retreating a lot and it was always just hugely effective because like why lose fleets if you can afford like if you just don't have to lose any fleets. If you've got somewhere that you can retreat to, do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just do it. Just don't don't lose. Retreat. Right. Um, speaking of losing and being a loser <laughs> uh, always try and assign hits to fighters first and then maybe the carriers and then sustain damage or maybe sustain damage and then the carriers I don't know it depends it's it's depends. actually the general this, this rule, one's though, is kind like, of it's kind of weird. Different. Yeah, But
0: you should, like, I think this is mostly for, like, brand new players. Fighters are fodder. Fighters exist to be the thing that you kill first. That is what they are really good for. You can get them to have really good attack values, or, like, if you're Nalu, it's a whole different conversation. But generally speaking, you kill your fighters first. And like Hunter said, if you're not bringing ground forces, you might be able to afford to lose... Uh, the carrier, but the big thing is unless you have dreadnought two or you know the person doesn't have direct hits, using sustained damage like willy-nilly is a little bit of a dangerous prospect, and you should kind of consider other avenues first. I wouldn't, like, kill my cruiser before I sustain damage on my dreadnought, but I will kill all my fighters before I sustain damage in most situations.
1: Yeah, I definitely in that situation wouldn't sustain damage on the first round of combat.
0: Right, right
1: um that's it for tactical actions yeah so now yeah. we're getting
0: into the more fluid we, we we wrote down component action we were just trying to break this down into as many parts as we could but this is where um <laughs> this next one is the confusing legal text uh clause which is always triple check the timing and the text of all of your action cards and i think you should do this routinely Like multiple times around. Pick up your hand. This goes for your promissory notes as well. Look through all of your stuff. Double check the text. Double check the timing activations. Uh, A, because the worst thing that you can do is try to play an action card and then be told no, that's not this timing. So you should try to find a way to definitely understand when your card is going to get played so that you don't reveal a card that you have uh, too soon. And alternatively, just to remind yourself that you have them. It's again, there's a million things in this game, and it's very easy to forget that you had an action card that has an incredibly specific timing window. So if you're constantly reminding yourself what cards you have in your hand, you won't forget those things. And the same goes for promissory notes. Uh, Don't forget that maybe you have somebody else's ceasefire, or don't forget that you can trade that ceasefire to somebody else.
1: Ooh, yeah. Yeah, people forget that all the time. You can always it, as, trade as long as it's,
0: Yeah, as long as the promissory note is not in play, if it's just in your hand, face down, you can do whatever you want with it. So let's say, you know, the mentac gave you their promise of protection, but you haven't played it yet. You might be able to do some serious damage and gain a lot of money for it if you trade that to somebody else, but not if you forget that you have it because it's not a part of your normal, you know, thoughts in a game. It's, it's like right. one of those things that like, oh, I randomly got promise of protection this game. You, you have to remind yourself of those things throughout the game.
1: Right, um, and here's something: always play junk action cards if you're at your hand limit. If right. you if you're at seven and you're not Isaril, um, you should, unless you just have an immaculate hand that you're just right. like really happy with. You should be playing the not so great cards so that you can uh, refresh up to new cards. Uh, right. This one seems super duh, but I I've seen a lot of people just kind of be like, oh wow, why did I not? play my cards right well the main the main timing that it
0: happens is like in the status phase, you have Neuromotivator, you're going to draw two action cards, and you just kind of forgot that you needed to spend some action cards during the phase, and now you're burning two action cards, and that's the worst thing you can do with an action card. It's just right. completely throw it away when you right. could have maybe gained like even just a trade good for it, right? If you if you could have used that action card to do something to a planet that gains you a trade a trade good, why didn't you do that? that right. so, so there's a bunch of action cards that are pretty just like, meh, it does a little bit. Well, you know, find some opportunity to do it before your hand size gets too big.
1: All right, status phase time, baby.
0: This one is really interesting. All the status phase stuff is going to have a general theme. And the status phase, uh, what you're doing in the status phase is what Blarknob called doing your homework. And uh, we we think, generally speaking, you should do a lot more than just your homework. Your homework is, oh, yeah, you pick up your command counters, you refresh your planets, yada, yada, yada. But the status phase is like a cool-down period where you can take advantage of nobody doing anything that actively and you can kind of get your bearings straight again and figure out like okay what are we going to be start doing next round right this is right. your catch-up mentally uh, opportunity so the the first thing is like the first thing you're going to do in the SAS phase is score objectives don't forget to look around at the whole table and your whole hand and make sure you score every objective that you have available to you uh, this happens a lot of times with uh classified documents leaks Uh, is an action card that makes a secret objective public. I one time forgot to score that objective because I had access to it, but I forgot the action card had been played. Weird little things like that, that again are just a part of the many things to remember in a game, are easier to remember if you make an opportunity to just look at the whole table and check everything real quick before you finalize what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So always score all objectives. Also score the hardest objectives first. If you have four hazardous planets and you have two tech and two colors, you should score four hazardous planets because that can actually be taken away from you.
1: Right, right. Yeah, we've talked about that in the past, like how tech objectives can be kind of scored in your back pocket. Right. You know, you don't have to score them right away. Um, Always take a look at your neighbors uh, during the status phase because- While you're all doing your homework, like we said earlier, Mm. uh, everyone is redistributing their command counters. It's just a really good time to take stock in what your neighbors have scored, what they're probably going to score, and how many command counters they're going to have going into the next round. Especially the the command counter thing, uh, because that helps predict what strategy card they're going to take. Obviously, someone with two command counters in total on their sheet has a need for leadership, all right. Um, and you can just block them. Might as well. Right, leadership right.
0: is always good for you to take. And if right. you can completely ruin their round three, why not? I That's right. what I say. Or you can make them pay you to not take leadership. You know, sure. there's options in every avenue. Um, Also, when the when the new objective gets revealed, this is a really good opportunity to just take a look at every single objective that you haven't already scored and determine what your path to scoring all of those objectives are going to be. Look at the new one. How could I possibly score that? And then be able to plan out the like multiple different routes you could take next round to score at least one objective. That should be your goal every single round. Is how am I going to score at least one objective this round? And the end of the, or the, during the status phase is when you can kind of formulate those plans because the next thing you're going to do is pick a strategy card and that strategy card is probably going to delib- like directly help you get the objective. So now is your chance to start planning that sort of thing out.
1: Uh, never forget that you can take command counters out of fleet pool. This is very uh, important for certain factions, uh, but depending on how your game is going, this could be important really for anybody. Uh, Muat, I feel like very frequently has to take uh command counter out of fleet yeah. pool and can a sort of it. you yep. can
0: practically just do it for free it's like it, it hardly affects you to take things out of your fleet pool as Barony. right right and that's um, i feel
1: like this in general is more of an early game thing yeah, most definitely. of the time but yeah
0: yeah and then also finally in the status phase always like we said earlier save political stability this is your this is your second reminder hold on to that political stability action card until it matters later in the game right um so next up is the agenda phase. Agenda phase is a really hard one to say always and nevers because there's a lot of meta things happening in the agenda phase. So we're going to do our best to kind of give you things that are a little bit more grounded, but we could not plan for like always convince your neighbor the, to do this when they're voting on this right. agenda. There's just yeah. too many agendas to, con- to consider. So these are going to be things that are a little bit more locked down. The first one, which I think is the best advice for the agenda phase, is... Save all of your writers for the agendas that are for and against votes. That means not elect player and not elect planet. Writers only give you benefits if you correctly predict the outcome. Why would you predict an outcome of something that has 20 options when you could pick something that has two options? You drastically increase your odds to have an effect when you use your writers on for and against agendas.
1: Uh, don't get hasty with assassinate representatives. Uh, a lot of times, people throw that card out there before even kind of taking stock of what that player was going to vote on. Uh, there are lots of agendas where players have no real interest, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like I feel like the consequence of this never that we're throwing out. Uh, well, sorry, not really the consequence, but the reason that we're throwing this out is that we've never really seen assassinate representatives used effectively. Right. It feels like when it's... In a
0: huge way. Right. right,
1: It just seems like it has a lot of potential, the action card, but people don't save it for those key, key votes. What I always Um, see
0: is like, oh, x has... 18 votes they could run away with any vote they want i'm gonna go ahead and assassinate their representatives but like if the extra was playing ball and being nice why did you waste that card on them when they just you you could have used their votes to your advantage
1: right i think uh, always it's, oh go ahead i i think it's more useful when when an agenda comes out that you know someone has a vested interest in right. and cutting them out of the equation. exactly that's exactly. what it's
0: for Uh, Always pay attention to speaker order and let that dictate how you talk during the agenda phase. This is the closest we get in here uh, of talking about like the weird meta considerations. And it really just comes down to if you are last in speaker order or if you if you are, you know, the speaker and you're going to vote last, you kind of have the most power. And so you either need to talk more or less depending on the agenda that's coming up. If, If you need to just stay hush hush because you don't need to reveal your hand and you need to let everyone burn votes. Like you need to be paying attention to what that order is. Same goes for if you are the first one to vote, you very rarely are going to have very much say over the final outcome, which means you need to talk a lot more. You got to get people on your side. You got to start forming your coalition and you need to like convince people to vote the way that you're planning to vote.
1: Yeah, I yeah I think it just has like wherever you are in the speaker order, that's kind of how much talking you're probably going to need to do. Uh, and obviously, if you can't get people to talk to you at all, like the earlier you are, the more you might just need to abstain, you know? Right.
0: Right. Exactly. Uh, this um, next one's super simple. Always leave yourself one vote for the second agenda, uh, because if the second agenda requires you to have voted on something to gain an effect, you you want to save at least one. So in the first agenda, consider yourself as having one less uh, influence than you technically have, if you can help it.
1: Sure, but I think in a lot of situations, uh, that one vote might not. Ma- I think I would. I would rather this say, n- don't use all of your, um, all of your votes. Just remember, there's a second vote. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes don't use so- all of your votes if you don't have to. I guess right. is like sometimes the, the it- first agenda is really decisive for you, and you do have to right. go all in on it to make it happen. Um, and there's not so many decisive agendas that, like, I would say that's a bad play. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I think in a lot of situations it's good play, but it just depends. Right. The agenda phase is really hard to do this with.
0: Yes, it is. Um, Always, th- this one's a weird one because I don't even follow this myself all the time, but always use all your votes on the second agenda. There's no, there's no next yeah, agenda coming up. Yeah, you're not saving up. them for anything. There's no yeah, reason you're not, to save them. Right. It. Now, sometimes you do want to abstain because you're avoiding some specific outcome, but I think if you're just abstaining because you don't want to take sides, I think that's a little bit, silly and you can always turn your abstain into someone paying you to give a vote obviously right. there are times when it's just like no they already have it scored and your vote doesn't matter but I, you should just plan to use all of your votes in the second agenda
1: yeah uh never so we were what we've written here is never show your hand before you have to um don't necessarily this one's kind of be i think we're throwing this out because we play a lot of social deduction games yeah yeah we do. um don't necessarily just shout exactly what you want the second the agenda comes out. I mean, yeah. I think you what we were kind of saying before about speaker order, kind of let that help you guide yourself. Like just know yes. if you're the speaker, you don't ne- necessarily have to show your hand that early. Um, right. If you're the speaker and you don't have the votes though, maybe you do. This one's really context heavy, but I, I, think, I think we've just seen a lot of agenda phases where uh, people didn't really like play the table they just kind of said like i want this yeah exactly it just they were an
0: open book and it's like you know this is a social the agenda phase is a social deduction game and it is a, a it's a hidden role game you're hiding what you actually what outcome you want or you're trying to convince people you know there's just a lot of elements at play and you need to poker face it a little bit
1: right um always count up everyone's votes this one's like this probably should have been the first one honestly yeah yeah um but yeah, we've been doing this thing lately of just having taking dice and letting mm-hmm. that be like a little counter on everybody. Uh, super useful, just, just really nice, really good. Yeah. And the final and one then, here is yeah, Really always, serious, always, really serious always,
0: always vote four on Ixthian Artifact. Ixthian Artifact is an agenda where you have to roll a die, and on a certain outcome, everyone gains two tech. And the other outcome, it doesn't matter what it says. You should always pick four because it's going to be just the best thing that happens in
1: your game, and it's uh, a wonderful story beat. If you don't listen to anything we say here today, uh, I think you should really listen to that one. I think that's 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 the (laughs) real takeaway. That's the nugget. That's the nugget. Um, Okay, we're kind of in the home stretch here. Uh, We
0: had a bunch of these other things to consider, and they all are like faction specific, and none of these are that complicated. So we're really just going to dive through them um, where it makes sense to. um, So these are just quick advice per faction of things to keep in mind, things that are, this is especially more than anything else we've talked about. These are the, that checklist of just like, remember to do this. Remember that. Don't forget you have this, uh, because every game is different and, and it's very easy to forget like faction abilities basically, because yeah. you, this is maybe your first time playing with it. Faction. So, um, like the first one is the most commonly forgotten thing when you are the Arborek, or also if you're the Federation of soul and you have their flagship during the status phase, you gain an extra ground force. And I never, ever, 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 ever remember to do this, and I wish I had like an alarm on my phone that went off every ten minutes that reminded me to do this because right. it's the even worst when thing you're in the not world.
1: playing Twilight Imperium, just yes, like every just, ten minutes, it's like, hey, you, you great your force. You can place force. a dude on a
0: on a planet you control as the yeah. You'll be like satisfying.
1: falling asleep, like trying to sleep, you know, at night with your wife Katie, right. and you guys no, are laying just, together, and and then your phone goes off, hey. Remember to gain that ground well, force. Well, and I'll, in the tell, status I'll phase. tell
0: Katie because I think Katie needs to be reminded of this every 10 minutes as well. Yeah. I set the alarm on her phone just to make sure that we're both, I need her cross referencing me, making sure I'm always remembering mm-hmm. that I can place an extra dude. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's so vital to our relationship. Game your ground
1: force in the status phase, dude. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was their vows. Their vows at their <laughs> wedding, where I, 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 to have and to hold. And to always place the one extra dude <laughs> as our Burek. Uh, if you're playing a SAR, uh, remember that your space docks can behave as weird stealth bombers. That's just kind of general strategy stuff. But like people, forget this is a—it's just time. a trick
0: that maybe new players don't know. Your 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 space docks are not ships, but they move as though they were ships, which essentially means they cannot be targeted by PDS. Which means you can take a space dock with nothing but ground forces and invade a planet as long as there's no ships above that planet, the PDS doesn't get to fire at you and you get a free, free invasion. It's, it's really weird. ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, L1Z1X, always remember that you start the game with two C4I despite it not looking like you have two carriers. Your dreadnoughts have two capacity and that's enough to make it equal two C4I. You should act as though you already have two C4I, which means you're free to do other things with your money.
1: Yeah. Uh, Nalu, never give out gift to the presents. Never. Ever. Never, ever, ever. We, never. Saw,
0: we saw it given out one time because of a really specific scenario where they could give it out and still win the game no matter what. Uh, I still was nervous about them giving out in that instance. It was, it, I just it's, You shouldn't do it. it all it's going to do is cost you the game.
1: Uh, always have uh, if you're Nalu, always have a command counter and strategy for foresight. You always want to have that as an option. So just yeah. throw that command counter down a strategy, leave it there. Let just yeah. set it and forget it.
0: Right. Uh, Yin, same same mentality. Always save two influence for indoctrination. Um, being yeah. able to invade a planet and convert a ground force is just ridiculous. And you or should defensive- always have two- defensively or, it's or really defensively, it's too. even better. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Hakan, always remember that you can trade action cards at any moment. That one's super clutch, very important. Yeah,
0: yeah the, the biggest thing is at any moment, like constantly be aware of your action cards and like every timing that they have because not only could you just play them, but you could sell them to someone who wants to use them in a specific timing window. Right. So Hakan is difficult in that way where you have to be aware of everything that's going on at all moments because you can capitalize on every moment of the game.
1: Yep, yep, yep.
0: Uh, The Barony Aletnev, always remember that you have the fleet supply advantage. You have two inherent fleet supply that does not need to be held by command counters. I I forgot this the first time I played Barony in TI4, despite them having the same ability in TI3. I just forgot that that was the thing, and and it was the dumbest mistake of my life. So always remember you can do that. The bigger thing that is what we saw Laura do in a recent game, remember that you can go down to zero fleet supply and still technically have two
1: yeah which is yeah, that was so dope. That was like the coolest thing I'd seen in a long time. Yeah. um Mentak, make sure to always pay attention to who your neighbors are and their transactions for pillage um yeah. we It's always kind of sad when people get away with transactions that Mentak doesn't get to pillage because they just weren't paying attention, so right. always yeah. remember to pay attention to that. It
0: feels edge shooty once again, it just feels like you you quietly did a little deal and, and Mentak was you know. Looking but it's at also their not my PS job network. to remind you to no, do exactly. it. No, exactly. You know what I mean? So, you you as a Mentac player definitely have to pay attention. Uh, ghost of Krius, This one's f- kind of interesting, but Ghost of Krius movement is truly ridiculous. They can always get places that is hard to expect, and it can be even hard to expect for you as the ghost player. So, you should always be looking for new places that you have access to. Always be paying attention to how much how far you can get with every individual fleet and like you might realize that there's a planet you didn't think you could get to, but you actually can. And there's definitely no way that person is going to expect you to show up there.
1: Right. Uh, Necro, always remember that you get three command counters anytime you would receive a tech. That means agenda phase. That means the action cards that give you tech. Uh, that right. means when you just do tech yourself. When you do the tech, the tech right. secondary or the, primary. The big,
0: right. The big thing for me with this one is obviously you can always take tech and get a huge benefit from it. But honestly, I, the last game I played as Necro, I was using the secondary of tech when I when I really needed a clutch uh, command counter. The secondary of tech, you would spend one, yes, it feels like kind of a waste, uh, and then you spend four resources to then gain three back. So you really gain two for four resources. It's not that bad of a deal, and you should always remember that it's available to you. Yep. Arborek, never, ever, 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 ever in your whole life give out stymie. It's insane yep. for yep. you to do that. I, I, no other... This is even bigger than Gift of the Prescience, uh, or Gift of Prescience, because... This completely crushes your game if you give it out, and there's there, in no world can you get paid enough for this to be a good trade, you right? Should just, it, you shouldn't give it out.
1: We've talked about it before. Essentially, the problem is that you can always trade Stymie to somebody else where it's really, really inconvenient for right. Arborex, so it's always bad. Um, extra, always look for where your space cannons can hit. Um, it, it always uh, again, this is another edge gamey thing, but like sometimes someone will have a space combat. Uh, two other players in a space where extra could shoot with their space cannons, which means that extra could have been a factor in that right. entire uh discussion. X-times. And I kind of feel like that's the whole thing with extra. So if right. you forget that, then that's a bummer. But yeah, it's another thing where people don't necessarily want to remind you, and it's not necessarily their job to remind you either, exactly.
0: And, and the same goes too for like when Hunter uh did this against me in a game. You, sometimes you can just activate a place and kill like a whole fleet without moving a single ship in because yeah. you can just fire your space cannon adjacent. So be looking for those kinds of opportunities as well. Hey, your Dreadnought and Cruiser got too close and uh, now I'm going to move my uh, flagship one over and I'm going to fire four shots on a five at you. Sorry, right. buddy. Right. Uh, the last one for all these factions is Jonar. Just always, always look for ways to give out that promissory note. Um, Wheel you and can, deal it. Just wheel and deal it like crazy. It doesn't really lose you anything to give it out. And I think you should trade it out as often as you possibly can and get people to use it. Because, I mean, you don't want people to get it and then just hold on to it all game. So entice them with a little bit. But yeah, you should wheel and deal that thing like crazy.
1: And then finally, we have a really special consideration for just promissory notes in general remember your hand of promissory notes. Remember your faction promissory note. Look at them. But also remember what promissory notes you have gotten from other players. We've had a lot of games lately where people have forgotten that they had a ceasefire that belonged to another player. And that's another thing where it's like, it's very hard to... Who is it that is supposed to remind you that you have that? Right. No, you
0: just got to constantly double check your stuff. The other thing too
1: is like, like you... You might not have it anymore. That that's the problem right. It's like if right, I right, get, right. if I give you my, my ceasefire and then you don't use it against me, I don't necessarily know that it's because you've forgotten or you may have right. traded it to somebody else. So right. you really do have to have to be the one person to like remember that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and I feel like if there's any big takeaway from this whole episode, it is that mentality of like Except that TI is an absolutely huge game and you are going to forget things. So you should be kind of constantly looking around and checking yourself and making sure you're not forgetting some weird little outlier because there's so the, the whole game is outliers. TI is nothing but weird outliers affecting the norm and you have to account for all of them.
1: Yeah, and that's why I love stuff like the staging thing we were talking about towards the beginning of the episode. Of like Anything you can do to make this process easier for yourself, you Mm -hmm. should do because you're going to mess stuff up if you You don't. You need to reduce the mental burden that you have already going. Oh, and it it is a burden. This game is a burden. burden. It's it's (laughs) a burden on your game, on your brain, on your game brain. On your Your game brain. It hurts to play, and it makes you sick. In your tummy, always (laughs) play Twilight Imperium on a full tummy because otherwise you'll pass out because you don't have the strength to do it.
0: Hunter, I am so excited to get to the errata because we're finally going to do Tech Paths Part 3 errata, which was like 100 years ago, uh, and we're going to talk about last week's Salty episode, but right. really quickly, I want to do the rundown before we get into that errata, but I want everyone to know we are definitely doing Tech Paths Part 3, even though we've been putting Why it out Why do you want to do the rundown first? I don't, I don't know. Like do, I like doing it. I just like, I like throwing it into the mix. Okay. It's fun.
1: Well, I just wanted to say uh, Never Head Desk. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to twitter for game updates and announcements that's called space cats pod that's at space cats pod the twitter um facebook is called space cats Peace turtles which is also the name of this cool podcast i should tell you about you can go there for announcements and questions you can go to reddit twilight imperium that we purchased and own um (laughs) along with reddit the whole website we now own the whole thing (laughs) haha Um, we post there every week, and there's lots of great discussion there. You can go to board, our Board Game Geek Guild for uh, discussions and look at the calendar. Is that accurate at all at this juncture? No, we got you and I got to sit down and we got to talk about what's what's coming up. Uh, I we're ain't about gotta to get do nothing. <laughs> I ain't gotta do nothing. You can email us at spacecatspeaceturtles uh, at gmail.com, com c o m for this Imperium Life and Play of the Week uh stuff if you submit it that's what you do you send it to us um Mm -hmm. our patreon has recently completely changed if the if you're just checking in for a minute you should go over to our patreon because we are doing a patreon tournament and it's gonna be really awesome uh and right now we've got a a hundred something potential people that could sign up for it
0: yeah it's Um, turning into what could maybe be a big a big thing a big tournament
1: yeah really excited that's gonna be super fun um and yeah check out that we've we've also changed the way all of the tiers work oh and also those those of you that have jumped onto the patreon um expecting hey where are my where are my uh my bennies my new my my new yeah. bennies um they're gonna start we, happening you may have already we may have already messaged you by the time this came
0: out uh monday was oh October yeah that's 1st, true so, so we're, we're we're gonna like from now on first of the month is when we start to like check in on all those things and like see how everyone's doing and right. whatnot.
1: So we will be setting up and uh, Brotherhood games. We will we will be asking Space Kitties what they want their episodes to be about. Um, we'll be hitting up uh, the Steve Martin fan club for their mm-hmm. ideas on the next stream, stuff like that. Yes. Um, you can join our Discord for fun conversations uh, and also like not fun conversations too. they also do they also do not fun huge arguments and yeah there's like a part of those (laughs) yeah that's fun too it's not all about fun you know sometimes (laughs) it's about you know other stuff um rate us on your podcast app wouldn't you hey wait always rate us on your podcast Uh, especially apple Podcasts slash itunes never don't rate us on your podcast (laughs) app never don't always do um, I, hey, I'm a comedian. My name's Hunter. Um, and on October 17th in Portland, Oregon, a place that I live, just me, and Matt no longer does at all, um, Bye. you can see me and my sketch group, uh, which is myself, Milan Patel, and Kyle George. We're called the Love Boys. Um, and we are doing our last show for a minute because Milan is moving to LA. And good luck to him, uh, you jerk. Uh, and that will be at the Kickstand Comedy Theater in Portland. It starts at 7:30 and it's going to be really really awesome. Uh it's going to be a very very cool show because we have uh you know we we have quite the following in Portland the Love Boys. We're really well we are we are popular boys in this town and <laughs> That's why that's why you got the name. They all love you so much. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't even we just wanted to be the boys. Um, <laughs> but they said that wasn't enough. Uh and yeah, so that's going to be a pretty big really fun show. And we wanna thank some Patreoners. Matt, do you wanna thank our Patreoners? I
0: sure do. I wanna thank uh Jada I wanna thank InMacWeTrust. We Trust. I wanna thank Jim Bob. I wanna thank Dylan Doom. I also wanna thank Yin for Life, Kraken, and Humble Shrew, Ssrru. S S R R U. I don't know what that is. It's a series of letters and 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 one vowel. Nice. Well, they're all letters. Some of them are all letters, but one of them is also—it's like a rectangle square scenario. Yeah. Uh, Let's 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 fade away into the abyss and then come back uh, four seconds later and do some errata. What do you say? Right. Yeah.
1: We always fade away, and we never don't. Alright, All right. well, yeah, let's, uh, hey, listen, we're always back, and we're never not back, so <laughs> let's get to that always errata, because we always mess up every day, and we never don't. Always endeavors.
0: <laughs> this first one is from RoboFish, and this is for last week's episode. We're going to start with that, and then we'll get into Tech Pads Part 3. So, uh, last week's episode, it's not like there's as much to mess up, but everyone else had things to uh, share when it came to uh, saltness but Robofish had a really good response that I felt like was worth uh, talking about which is I really think some more introspection of what the behavior means would have been helpful it is all very well to say wasn't it funny when Matt smashes his head into the table but how do other players deal with this so Robofish was just wishing we had maybe in our salt episode talked a little bit more about like how to deal with salty players yeah um, and I, I have a response to that but before I get into that response. I also want to bring up Alex's uh, Rada. He was talking in our discord and we got into a long discussion about this same topic. So he, he said, so what's the consensus on point denial and early aggression last night? I was met with, since you even thought to deny me one single point, I'm going to ruin your entire game. Um, and to my mind, point denial should just be standard play. So, so the question here is basically Alex had to deal with a player getting very salty because he denied him one point and they decided to throw their whole game to crush alex despite it really even being worth it it was one point that they got denied and there are other points of the game and like twilight imperium is a game of at the end of the day i would i would argue point denial over everything else it is not a fun game to just have everyone casually score points and then one person scores the 10th one first part of the strategy of twilight imperium is stopping people which means getting in people's way which means Sometimes that's annoying because it's really long and you got denied one point. So the question really is, when does saltiness go too far, right? What is the, what is like the limit of how mad do we let someone get? You know, we had our recent 14 point stream where like Hunter was getting very mad at the Arborek player for just like not laying off of this one system. And it's like hard to know. When do you, I don't know, when do you say something, I guess? I feel like a lot of what people talked about in response to that Salty episode is complaining about uh, really annoying players they've played with in the past. Um, but I really personally think that it, you have to allow for some room of um, butting heads with people. And, and you can't call kingmaking and you can't call saltiness too early because like that's part of what TI is is the emotions of the game running rampant, right? I mean, that's like why I love the game so much is because it is a it is a vehicle to get so like invested in it and sometimes get really salty about things and then the game finishes and 5 minutes goes by and we all cool off and then we all think it was funny. I think that is the best part of Twilight Imperium. I, and I'm I'm just kind of curious what people's thoughts in the community are to that like what is the cutoff point what is the threshold of how mad do you let someone get before it becomes a problem i mean obviously in our group i head desked our table into
1: oblivion
0: and we all walked away from into it.
1: oblivion generally the okay, table right? is still there okay well the table you don't know not that gone. you
0: don't know that do you see the table right
1: now god no it's fine <laughs> the table's fine
0: <laughs> i don't know hunter what are you, what are your thoughts i mean like how far is saltiness when does it become a problem like I, I actually here's the better question have you ever had an incident where it actually did feel like too much versus just the general like we get mad at this game because that's what the game is
1: um i think it just depends on who i'm getting mad at uh right. i i like uh i don't know i'm i am uh a little goblin i am <laughs> an an imp of sorts yeah, and uh, I do like in the world of of uh, tabletop gaming and and make believe fantasy times uh, to kind of get underneath people's skin. Yeah. Um. I don't really do that in my real, regular walking around life, but I right. definitely do it a lot when it comes to my game life. And I think it's just kind of part of my persona when we're in a place where you know the the. It's safe. the Yeah, where the game, you know, the games are made up and the points don't matter, that kind of thing. Um, (laughs) And like, so for me, I feel like it is kind of part of it. It's kind of like, it's like trash talk, right? Like, exactly. I would never trash talk you at like a coffee shop and you don't even know me. Um, But I would trash talk you, you know, on the court, bro. Uh, if we're <laughs> when you in, and and the not knowing them still counts, right I think you
0: it's really interesting sometimes to watch you, hunter, because you don't let not knowing someone stop you from trash talking them in game
1: yeah, I and mean, so for
0: some people, I think it it rubs them maybe the wrong way, but I think when they learn that like no it's just part of the that's like in we're in the game right now, it becomes easier to deal with, and the same goes for me when I get like really, really bent out of shape, I'm never actually like mad at someone and maybe it's maybe it, it takes a, a presence of mind of me to be like hey i have to remind everyone that i'm actually not freaking out but it's just fun for me to freak out uh it for for play pretend
1: i i mean i i think that i maybe get too comfortable uh in general i think i feel a little like i i kind of overlook other people's boundaries and like how other people might be feeling because i don't feel uncomfortable so fine fun- right. like i and so then I kind of have this weird like kind of check moment where I realize like, oh, this other person is like maybe uncomfortable with like the amount of uh, salt that just is kind of that kind of comes with the territory of me right. playing this game. Um, I think that Robofish Fish uh, has a very good point. With saying that the episode doesn't really touch on the introspective uh, introspection of yeah. what this behavior actually means, uh, it would be really cool to actually do more of a psychological uh, look at this topic and I actually do will. some research. That would be great. Uh, I yeah. just think this um, the way this episode, if I can be completely transparent, the way this episode was. The way this episode came together is we were like, oh, this would be a cool idea for an episode. Um, but then Matt, you were on the road, right? So we didn't do. It wasn't like a super well thought out or produced episode. It was like, a, let's we just kind of together. Well, let's just talk about it with right. with our friends. Um, so I think if if I could have repitched the episode, it would have been like, let's talk about saltiness, but not necessarily like explore it, um, right. Right, not not to say that we don't want to explore. Obviously, we do, but we, sure. I think we actually underestimated the topic. Um, yeah. yeah, and also Invictus Potato points out very, very well, and errata that this is the topic that Matt is the most qualified to cover. Um, right. Because I'm a salty, salty boy. You're you're intensely salty. I have to point
0: out that you all also took that opportunity to just bash me for, I feel like it was a solid 10 to 15 minutes of just nothing but how terrible is it to play with Matt. So that was just really great for me to listen to in the edit and decide whether or not I was going to keep it or not.
1: I don't even remember that part, you know, honestly. Uh, I think I just, I spent so much time talking about you behind your back with all kinds Mm. of people, you know, even people that don't even know me. (laughs)
0: Well, darn it, Hunter. Wouldn't you know it? Oh, it just feels like we ran out of time. I guess we're not going to do Tech Paths Part 3
1: Errata. I think we're just going to kick yeah. that. Can't... No, we're just never going to do, do it. that one. These hey, are wait, all no, Matt, the... Matt, we're what? never going to do that one. We're never going to do that one. Oh, errata. wait, no, we always do Errata. So we're going to
0: do it go. right now. Um, Barney Lowe actually sent me a direct message on, on Reddit. So this was one that is fun. Um, he caught something that I've never really noticed before that I think is worth pointing out. Um, I don't know if this has huge implications. In fact, I know it probably doesn't. But I've just been eyeballing XChaw for my first game with them, and it looks like integrated economy has the most stupendous synergy with peace accords. Just something worth mentioning? Uh, And yeah, it looks like you can use peace accords, gain control of a planet, and then use integrated economy to build off of it. Now, the integrated economy problem still kind of reigns supreme here, where it's like it's a late game tech that wants to be an early game tech. So... You're getting it too late when there's not that many options to piece accords, but I wanted to include this because I want to see people make that play. Be- yeah, because the the argument is you're going down yellow anyways. You're going to get nullification field, so ideally you're only going to be one tech away from making this happen. So if you finish the rest of your tech path, you might as well get integrated economy and look for opportunities to piece accords a planet and then drop a bunch of ground forces on it immediately. Can, I, sounds...
1: can I? I'm going to need to contest this idea a little bit. I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, so uh, I like I like the connection that Barney Lowe made. I, I really dig it. It's just the problem is this. Extra doesn't already have a reason to take diplomacy right. in, in the same timing window that you would have integrated economy. You're going to have integrated right. econ- economy like later in the game or like mid-game earliest. And why would you need to take diplomacy when you, you have nullification? You fields. have nullification field. It's you true. have probably PDS as well. Like, do you really need diplomacy just for peace? It it seems like one of those things where it's like a cool idea, um, but it just doesn't. And and it's a cool connection. And and I didn't come up with it, but it's not. It doesn't feel pragmatic. Yeah. I don't know. Uh,
0: Why contain it? Says, if anything, I think it says a lot about the game that essentially this series was about. When are you allowed to deviate from green blue? Yeah. Uh, Geez. That's, that's how I felt doing it as well, even though actually we talked about blue-yellow quite a lot as well, but it, it felt like it, it, it is proof that just green-blue is ridiculously good, and until we get new tech that shakes things up, um, almost every faction, it's hard for me not to just decide to go green-blue despite anything else that is a factor for them.
1: Right. A lot of times it's about convenience. It's like it's like you can't go green blue cuz it's just too out of your way or like yeah. you don't yeah, there's like other stuff you could go for, but yeah, green blue really is it's the best overall. It just is the best. Uh Marine Alver has one. Uh any tips on tech skips? Which one do you think is the most valuable and at what stages of the game do they keep their value? Um, I think tech skips is going to warrant, uh, it's whole, ep- a whole episode on yeah, its own. I think I do actually, too. uh, um, we talked, we talked or we tried to not have it be a factor in the, the tech paths episode right. too much, but then it sort of always was a factor, right? You have um, to consider it and people always ask about it. So I think we will do a full
0: episode. If I could give any kind of teaser, I would say, uh, obviously tech skips are most useful to, to skip text that you hate. So, red right. and yellow yeah. kind of immediately jump to mind. Um, and then also getting gravity drive as fast as possible is good. So, sometimes blue is useful early. So, if, if I could just give you some advice to tide you over, you know, those, you know, they have their different uses, but that's how I would think about them. I don't know if green skip is especially great, except for getting hypermetabolism really fast. I don't yeah. know. It just uh, but, depends. It does, and we're gonna we're gonna sit down with that topic a lot more someday in the future, uh, probably sooner rather than later, and we'll really dig into like how to truly think about tech skips.
1: Yeah. This last one is from JK Baker eighty three. Uh just, f- No, you, his name is uh or their name is just kidding baker eighty three. <laughs> and so they like, say f- they're like, I'm a baker kidding. and then everybody's like, Oh, can you make me a muffin? And they're like, Just kidding. I'm not a baker. <laughs> I was born in 83. I'm 83. (laughs) I'm 83 years old. I I used to be a baker. (laughs) You think I could bake at 83? (laughs) I'm tired. I done baked all the bacon I'm going to bake. (laughs) For Arborek,
0: I think it is worth noting that going down a non-Latani 2 path is a very important thing to have in your pocket for the games where you're playing with Necrovirus. While not ideal, you can live without Latani 2, but it is far too good of an ability to give the Necro barring some pretty extreme political scenarios. I agree with this. I also extend this. I think we kind of mentioned this, but uh, SAR space dock 2 upgrade, uh, I would also probably avoid if yeah. Necro is in the game. There's basically a Necro clause, but I will also probably limit it to those two tech. I don't know if any other tech in the game is so good that if Necro got it, it would be a terrible thing to have happen. I think it's just those two things. Um, And there's even a lot of things within that where it's like maybe they're not close enough you for them to actually get it. But I would generally agree, especially with Latani too. That's probably the most dangerous
1: thing you could let Necro get a hold of. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. The combo with the flagship is would be completely insane. Completely yeah. insane. Because then you could okay. just have the flagship move around wherever it wanted, and it would just be like right. a mobile, like completely Ridiculous defendable production base. center. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's you, just like you fight, out. and then you just yeah. build more
0: ground forces. At, yeah, it. That's well, the you're most just you're
1: building thing. all of your your carriers to carry all of the ground forces right. with the flagship, so you have like a ungodly amount. That of, feels unstoppable to me. Yeah, to be yeah. totally honest, it's liter- it's insane. Um, and I want to play Necro for just a whole. Six months just yeah. to try and get that combo. I really going.
0: wanted to have a better game as them in our 14-point game, but I think my biggest mistake was was going for the flagship early. I thought that was going to be an interesting play, and it didn't quite pan out how I wanted it to. Anyways, yeah. not, not to get onto that... Uh, Sidetrack.
1: yeah but. no you tried to use it as like a mid-game asset whereas yeah. I, I i feel like it's an ace in the hole yeah, not not like something you can you you can you can't flex on people with. well especially
0: it. in a 14 point game it's like why rush for things like that why take weird risks like that when you know you've got time to sit on plans
1: right it's like so. it's like your flood insurance right right it's not like a big stick you can hit people over the head with you know yeah that's not what well it is.
0: hunter I think we can draw this to a it's close. It's like it's
1: cool. Like I no, like it. Like it's like no, a, it's please get me it, out of here. It's a good flagship. Um, I never want to Do you guys remember Do this much errata? The episode where we again. kind of like discovered that that's how it worked because people didn't know for sure if that's how it right. worked, but then it like wasn't really like clear, you know, how it worked was a terrifying moment. We we had to like wait to release the episode cuz we had to figure it out. That was cool. That was really cool.
0: <laughs> what a fun moment in history.
1: Yeah, that was a fun moment in history. <laughs>
0: Hunter, I got a, I've got a play of the week for you.
1: Is um, it about the necro flagship? It's uh, not. I wish. Okay.
0: I wish it was about the necro flagship. That's and fine. We truly uncovered the secret of its power. Yeah, we no. kind of,
1: we, we kind of like Indiana Jones did. <laughs> you know, like like we were deep in like the cave of wonders. Uh, Aladdin is what I'm talking about, and 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 it was just kind of sitting down there, and we found it
0: we unearthed How it. different of a movie would Aladdin be if Aladdin was Indiana Jones
1: you know um would not it be that, that different. different you know <laughs> it's kind of different but not I mean Aladdin is a street rat right and that's what they call him in the movie all right that's Wonder what they can call Can I him. please get out of here can I go yeah, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and uh, give us that play of the week. I'm going to play us out. This one is probably
0: better served in a This Imperium Life episode, but I wanted to do it here. I don't even know if, you know, I, to, to be a little bit frank with you, I don't know if we'll ever do a This Imperium Life again. Uh, we get all these stories out in play of the week. It, it kind of just feels like we're getting them done. I don't know. It might I be wa- a while. I want to have a, a
1: This Imperium Life about salty stories. That's what I yeah, want. I that'd be good. Ooh, there yeah.
0: you go. Start submitting those. We will do this. The next This Imperium Life is going to have a specific topic, and start submitting your stories now for the salty This Imperium Life.
1: That would be cool if we did a This Imperium, uh, this Imperium Life special, where we, yeah. where we did salty stories, but we also talked about like the psychology of being right. salty- that would be cool. That would I think I, ro- I think that would actually be giving RoboFish what RoboFish deserves and I always want to give RoboFish what RoboFish what deserves. deserves. I have that tattooed on my inner thigh. <laughs> <laughs> give Robo uh, okay. Feed the RoboFish and then it's got little fish pellets. Well, I have it. a
0: true SAR Story by Optimouse. Do you want to hear it? A true SAR Story? A true SAR Story by Optimouse.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: As first captain of the home home fleet, it was my melancholy task to organize the defense against the necro invasion. The people of the home fleet had all but forgotten the worlds in our wake, but not all SAR had joined the migration. Those we left behind were rapidly being devoured by the unspeakable machine. The home fleet was too far away to help... And too weak besides, we made entreaties to the excha who failed to stir from under their cowardly shells. The Hakan rebuffed us, too proud to join our proposed mammalian alliance. Our only remaining hope lay with the very creators of the necrovirus. The stress had lost me nearly all my fur when I appealed to the Galactic Council, hoping to touch the hearts of the representatives. I was surprised to win support from those with no heart at all the L1Z1X mine net. They secured hope for my people by granting me the office of Minister of Exploration. Through this title, I was able to greatly increase the size of the home fleet, but more important still was the determination of the L1Z1X in taking responsibility for the malicious scourge they had once loosened upon the galaxy. By striking through a wormhole, the L1Z1X fleet managed to secure the Necro homeworld. My people cheered as the necro-dreadnoughts turned around to retake the corrupted core of their dominion, and within reach of the home fleet lay the greatest prize of all, Necatol Rex. Alas, the Lizziks proved to have neither heart nor stomach for the task as they had begun to undertake. They abandoned the Necro homeworld, established themselves on Mechatorex before we had the chance, and gave our common neighbor, the Hakan free reign to conquer the few planets that remain to us, and which the Necro had not already defiled. Such is the fate of my people. Our journey must continue. I pray we will one day find a home, but I confess I do not truly know the meaning of the word. First Captain Fluff, signing off.
1: Yeah, you know, like, what if the Necro had had, had their flagship? Then they, pro- they probably wouldn't have gotten attacked like that, you know? Matt? Hey, Matt? Hey Matt, are you there? Matt, where'd you go? All right, well, this uh we're going to do part 2 of the episode. Um that necro flagship's looking pretty good right now. I, I got it sitting on my desk right here and it's I mean, I guess it's not technically the necro flagship, could be any flagship, but it's always the necro one to me, you know?